Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grove. This week's guest is artist Jamal Eigel, creator of the Action Lab series Molly Danger, artist on Black Masks Black, which just got optioned for a film adaptation, and a DC artist on titles including Firestorm, Supergirl, and Nightwing. We talk about politics and comics and, in general, watching Star Wars and Marvel movies with our kids, and why DC hasn't done more with Booster Gold outside the comics. So what did you guys think of the news this past week that Wolverine can make his claws heat up now? Any of you readers of a certain age reminded of another mutant who already has hot knife powers? That's right, I'm talking about Pete Wisdom, and I want to talk about him with you. How come he's not a more prominent X character? Shouldn't he be like the British Nick Fury after Captain Britain in MI-13 when he uh, repelled an invasion of vampires from the moon? You guys remember that? Uh, if you're a fan or a creator and have strong feelings about the Warren Ellis and Ken Lashley created Super Spy, sound off with us at WMQ Comics on Twitter. Now here's me and Jamal. Uh, so first things first, uh, the movie just came out this weekend as we're recording. You're a known Star Wars fan. Uh, did you get to see Solo? Yes, I did. I took my daughter to see it on Friday. What'd you think? I liked it a lot, actually. I, you know what? I I liked it more than I thought I would, and I think a lot of that was because I had a lot of the preconceived notions that I think a lot of people had because of the the production troubles and you know all the rumors that were going around. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. That is, you know, that's the popular thing that I'm hearing from people. You know, and it's it's kind of. Considering how divisive The Last Jedi wound up being last year, it's kind of nice to hear people come out of a Star Wars movie and say, I liked it. It was good. I enjoyed it. And not, you know, without the sort of, I don't know, vehement, uh, you know, accusations of, of, you know, the stuff they didn't like about The Last Jedi for those right, who didn't right. like it. I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, sort of horse race that we have with movies in general these days, mm-hmm. especially in terms of box office i think that if something doesn't cause that sort of level of engagement either from the actual film itself or people looking at the numbers going well you know it didn't make as much as x y or z so it's obviously not a good movie and we, we've sort of been conned into this idea that the financial aspect of it all is a barometer of how successful it is will will solo make its money back i think it will Mm -hmm. i think it's very early to tell but when you're comparing it to something and i preface this by saying i really like the last jedi as well did i um yeah you know and i think that solo as opposed to the last jedi like, The Last Jedi gave me something new, mm-hmm. and I appreciated it for the risks that they were trying to take, the, the, the creative choices that Ryan Johnson went for, as opposed to Solo, which, if you're as steeped in you know, extended universe stuff, there was a lot of it that I knew going in to what they were doing story wise but it was it was nice to see it play out but for a kid like my daughter who's 10 who has i don't even think she's seen return of the jedi yet i'm working on it but uh <laughs> i'm easing her into this stuff um did she start with with the force awakens no actually she i think the first we we have a uh, there's a pizza joint down the block and during the summers they play movies outside we were like right across the street from this huge uh subway overpass so there's like a giant brick wall right across the street from their restaurant so they do like outdoor theaters and we actually uh went there to see uh a new hope and she fell asleep (laughs) But she's seen The Last Jedi, she saw Rogue One, she saw The Force Awakens, and she's, you know, she's a little bit older now, so she's getting into it a little bit more. You know, she's getting into a lot of the 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 the, the kind of nerd movies that her father and her mother are into. Mm-hmm. You know, she's we took her to see Avengers Infinity War. 
she saw Spider-Man. She loved Black Panther. You know, she wants to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, you know, so this is her generation stuff. So if you don't have that backstory with Solo, if you're not Mm -hmm. as familiar with the character as, say, you know, a 46-year-old comic book artist from Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) you're going to go into it with a different experience than I am. And I ended up actually really liking it. She loved it. She thought it was great. Did you, uh, walking out of there, uh, you know, I'm not sure how steeped you are in, like, the extended universe, uh, you know, stuff. I'm I'm certainly not an expert on it, but did you have to, like, hold back at all wanting to be like, well, now, actually, in the Dark Horse comics, which are no longer canon, you know, done. No, done, no, done, no, done. no. I, 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 I get to, to leave that stuff alone. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that heavily steeped into it. <laughs> but I do find myself... More with the the Marvel movies than anything else, I do mm-hmm. find myself having to because she'll ask me questions, and I find myself having to explain where certain things come from. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll get home, and I'll show her stuff on the computer out of my collection. You know, they give her a little context for things that are going on. I was uh, when it comes to Infinity War, I was like super nervous about my son seeing it because uh, mm-hmm. I saw it separately from from my wife and my son, and so I came home with like the knowledge of what happens at the end. And also, obviously, from having read Infinity Gauntlet 25 years prior. But, you know, I, I, I was kind of like, I don't know how he's going to take uh, what happened. You know, Spider-Man, the, the whole, I oh, feel so uh, good Mr. Stark scene. Because, like, he saw Homecoming last year and decided that, you know, Spider-Man was his, was his new favorite superhero. <laughs> and uh, so I, like, I kind of, I didn't spoil it for him, but I kind of prepared, you know, I, I, I kind of sat low down. I'm like, look, there's another movie coming out in a year. Mm. everything you know you're gonna see some stuff but everything's gonna be fine and i don't know he came, he came back on sunday and i was like okay well how you know how'd you do he's like no it's okay you know i know i get it <laughs> how old is he he's, uh he's seven. Oh, uh, okay and both he and my wife cried when yondu died in guardians too so like yeah i had that in my head <laughs> my wife cried yeah <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Um, but actually, it's really funny that you mentioned that because with that scene with Peters, mm-hmm. especially in Avengers Infinity War, my daughter in the theater went, no, take me instead. You're <laughs> too young. <laughs> but the same thing, you know, we walked out of the theater and, you know, she's starting to develop my somewhat wacky sense of humor. So, you know, I was, you know, telling her that there's another movie coming out. She's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, Peter will be back. You know, don't worry about it. You know, they'll find a way to bring him back. And she walks out of the theater and he goes, I can't believe they killed Superman. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Um, So earlier today, you took part in a panel at the New York Public Library on diversity Mm -hmm. in in, uh, young adult lit. Uh, How'd that go? It went really, really well. We had a nice sized crowd. I think it was like something like 150 students. Um, it was, it was really, it was nice actually. And you know, the kids were very receptive, and they were doing something that I had never had happen at a panel before. And I guess it's kind of like an, a revival of an of an old thing. They were kind of doing this beatnik snap thing instead of clapping. So every time somebody made a point that they liked, they'd start snapping, you know, it's like, you know, wow. and, was, and we were just like, you know, a bunch of old fogies up on the stage. I was like, wait, what are they snapping? Okay, we'll go with the snapping. Snapping works. Snapping's good. But <laughs> they, I think during the Occupy movements, they were doing that. Like when somebody yeah. would say something that they agreed with, there was like, they would use snaps to. Okay. Yeah. Right. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Um, so about a month ago, uh, a comic that you've worked on, uh, black got optioned for a movie. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the book for, for people who are listening, who don't know, uh, is the first in a series from black mass studios, uh, in which only, uh, black people have superpowers. Um, exciting times. Are you kind of involved or in the loop with, with the movie stuff at all? Um, I'm not directly involved with any of the movie stuff. I'll leave that for Kwanzaa and Tim to deal with. Um, <laughs> but it, it is, it's a little surreal. I'll, I'll be completely honest. You know, it's you know, it's not the first time that I've had my work sort of translated into other media, mm-hmm. but 
it's the first time that you know I will have a significant piece, I guess, of what whatever ends up coming out in terms of you know everything. Ultimately, you know, and it's it's um, you know, and it, it's a little, it's like I said, it's a little surreal. I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to see what gets done. I know that they're furiously in script uh, rewrites and re, you know, tuning things up and getting things ready. Um, going back and forth with notes with the studio and everything. So, you know, there's there's a, a lot of uh, furious activity going on. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, you mentioned this isn't the first time, you know, work of yours has been uh, adapted. I know that, uh, you know, Supergirl on the CW has taken uh, stuff from uh, yours and uh, Sterling Gates' run. I saw you had tweeted uh, earlier today about uh, the idea of having the Newsboy Legion start following uh, James Olsen around. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be fantastic, but I also love that as sort of a gateway to introduce, uh, just like uh, in the old Jack Kirby Fourth World era, Dark Side. <laughs> I, you know, if they could figure out how to do that on a, on a TV budget, I mean, it's always weird with this stuff, you know, what they yeah. can and can't use, what, you know, like, I I started hate-watching Gotham again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You're a braver man than I. <laughs> I. I get into these moods. I You know, I save stuff up on, like, Hulu, and then mm -hmm. I'll just watch it all in a row because, you know, I'm a masochist. And... Uh, but I went up. I went and looked up a, an article about Jeremiah on Gotham and why they can't call him the Joker on the show, even though he is the Joker. Right. Yeah. And it's it's you know all of that the the behind the scenes machinations on a corporate level were always very interesting to me. So, you know, with all that stuff. So if you could get around to doing some version of Kirby's Fourth World. Which I mean, you know, Darkseid is technically a Superman villain. He's he started in Superman, so he is a Superman villain. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't know how you would pull that off. You know, would you get a body double and get Michael I like pull Michael Ironside and have him do voice work or something? Would you, you know, go and find another wrestler? To <laughs> to <laughs> oh, I know, you get the Big Show. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. To be dark side, but but still with Ironside's voice. Well, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Just dub it over. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, you know, I like the fact on Supergirl that they they brought Carl Lumley in to be John's father. That you was know, a very I, nice touch. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it's but that that's something that that production company, Barilotti and, and Heidberg and and Mark Mark Guggenheim. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Jeff, like, they, you know, they're comic book guys. They know the material. They love the material. This is, you know, what they, they try to bring that love into what they're doing. And now I think, like, I saw something uh, this, a couple of days, either yesterday or today, where they were saying that there's a possibility that Blue Beetle is going to show up on Arrow, finally. Yeah. And, you know, kind of teasing him for, like, four seasons. <laughs> And that that took forever too, considering how long like these shows have been running, and the, you know it, it feels like they've just been saying, "Oh, we've got plans for you know Beetle and Booster," but just nothing right. ever clicks. Yeah, that's true. I you know I still don't think that they've really digested the Booster Gold. Like they really haven't. Like they they did that one episode with him on Smallville, right? And you know it was okay. It wasn't great. You know I have yeah. I like Booster as a character, and I like the combination of Ted and Michael, you know, together. You know, together that combo just mm -hmm. always seems to work on a very visceral level for me. And I think you know a lot of it has to do with when I was in high school. I did my internship at DC Comics, mm -hmm. and. I got to hang out with Keith Giffen and a little bit with Kevin McGuire back then and Mark Dematis and you oh, know, the right. editor, Sandy Helper and Kevin Dooley and spent a lot of time in the Justice League office in that six-month period. 
So, you know, the you know, but I was already a fan of the book even before I got to do got to meet those guys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it was, you know, it, it always like I always liked that combination. I think the best out of comics version of Booster that I've seen is probably Batman the Brave and the Bold. I'd agree with that. I think yeah. it, it they but even like the What's the the greatest story never told episode of Justice League Unlimited? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was a really good episode as well. I just, you know, live action. I would love to see a live action interpretation of Booster. I, I that... feel like with Legends of Tomorrow, like, how have they not... I mean, the only reason they haven't gone that way has to be some sort of, like, corporate... Like we're holding on to him for a movie type thing. I'm, I'm sure that has something to do with it. A lot of times... You know, it really is because, you know, certain productions have certain characters on lock. Because, mm-hmm. um, oh, God, is he supposed to be Rip Hunter's dad or son? I can't remember. He's supposed to be Rip's dad, actually. That would be a, a marvelous plot thread where, like, Rip <laughs> suddenly is, like, trying to keep the legends from finding out about his bumbling father. <laughs> Uh, but um, kind of getting back to uh, Black a little bit, do, mm-hmm. do you kind of feel like the turnaround from comic to movie is is coming quicker these days? Like we're used to it with Marvel and DC, obviously, because they've had, you know, sort of a, a, a you know decades head start here. But it feels right. like now, even with the smaller publishers like Black Mask and Vault, we're seeing IP get snatched up like super mm-hmm. quick. Well, there's a there's a a lot. Uh, and I think that a lot of that has to do with it's part of it is riding that wave of superhero material. I mean, doing it successfully. I mean, not just Marvel. Like Marvel has done it the most successfully, but you know, other studios have had some success with you know superhero material and comic book material in general. And you're starting, and not just Vault and Black Mask, but you're starting to see a lot of smaller companies and a lot of. Uh, of productions happening based around creator owned mm-hmm. properties. Like I I think Body Bags just got optioned. Yeah, Jason Pearson's book. Mm-hmm. Like that that just got optioned for a film. And McFarlane's doing a new spawn film with Jamie Foxx. Yeah. You know, and then he's directing himself. He's going the Frank Miller route with it. Yeah. But you know, there's you know and I mean the amount of independent titles that I've seen probably in like the last couple of months that have announced that they've got a film option. Like there's a lot I heard, <clears throat> excuse me. I have heard in various corners that this isn't the end. It's only the beginning because you know, they're looking for material they're looking for not just superhero material but they're looking for you know good genre based material that they can adapt you know i mean it's the same thing that they would have been doing with novels forever you're just doing it now with comic books again absolutely and going outside of just simply doing superhero stories you know, in a lot of ways, comics kind of serve as as the uh, the intellectual property farm that you yeah, know, plants absolutely. the seeds of, of other media. <laughs> uh, that's the way it's been since 1938. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's absolutely yeah. true. Um, you wrote in 2015 about how your philosophy when it comes to tabling at cons has changed and you wanted to focus solely on uh, Molly Danger, your creator-owned book, uh, because mm-hmm. that's your property. And when she succeeds, obviously you succeed and not, right. you know, a, a multinational vertically integrated uh, conglomerate. <laughs> uh, are you are you still hewing to that philosophy or, you know, has, I, has is black kind of become part of the mix now or black has become part of the black has become part of the mix. Although I do have to preface that with saying that I actually have taken the year off from doing conventions. So I haven't really done, I haven't done any conventions. I'm doing like one small thing next month, but that's about it. Um, but that being said, yes, black has become part of the mix. The, 
next project that I'm doing is also going to become part of that mix as well. And that's because I do have a financial stake in seeing those succeed. So, and it, it does, it's all part of the same philosophy. It, it really is about building my brand, my IP, my ideas, the things that I'm involved with directly that aren't being filtered through, you know, a massive corporation because it really doesn't it doesn't help me sure as a creator it doesn't help me to be just another guy doing harley quinn prints at a comic book convention right or you know i, I haven't <clears throat> you know i it's it's just good business more than anything else i think i think a lot of creators who are more plugged in to the the brand management side of the business you know whether it's you know doing long standing IPs or you know working on adaptations of film of television properties or novels or whatever and bringing them into the comics media you know that's kind of the same that's kind of the same thing you know it doesn't i'll take their money <laughs> i'll do the work but when it comes to everything else it's about self-promotion it's about the ultimate self-promotion you know i have to you know push my company i have to push my ideas i have to get those in front of people first mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, kind of taking a break from cons. Uh, is that is that more of a like you know give you more time to focus on work or like a self care thing? It's a combination actually. Um, one feeds the other, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, a lot of it is you know when I was the the VP of marketing at Action Lab, mm -hmm. I was doing shows every month. Like I was constantly traveling. I did that for three years in a row. And not just for Action Lab, but for myself as well. Mm -hmm. And that takes a toll. And I was away a lot. And my wife was very good about holding down the fort along with holding down a full-time job and giving me the, the freedom to, to do that. But I decided towards the end of last year that you know 25 years of comic book conventions was probably enough for a while. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it, it's, you know, there's something to it. It's been good. I, I have to be honest, I don't really miss going to conventions. Mm -hmm. just, just because it's, it's, a logis it's a logistics thing. It's, you know, I'm enjoying being able to spend my weekends with my family or, you know, attending functions with friends that I had to skip because I was doing the con circuit so much. Um, you mentioned starting out, uh, you know, pretty young working in comics. You had, you know, you had an internship with DC when you were just 17. Yeah. Um, that's not a thing you really see a lot anymore, is it? You know, like, like you know, you read, um, I don't know if you ever read like Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, but like it talks about how like, you know, like in the 70s, how all these people kind of came on when they were like just teenagers. Right. You know, it, it, that feels like a very sort of, I don't know. I mean, that, is that, is that, is that still a thing? Mm, I don't know. Um, I think that, and the nature of uh, internships or what mm -hmm. qualifies as an internship has changed as well from a, a corporate standpoint because you have a, a lot of people who feel like unpaid in, internships mm -hmm. aren't uh, aren't right. You know, I don't yeah. know if I necessarily agree with that as somebody who did do an, in, an unpaid internship, but you know, there was school credit attached and I took advantage of that way. And I, I took away a huge, uh, education about working the corporate side of comics that I had no 
clue about before I did my internship. So I feel like I got something out of it. Not everybody would feel that way. And then I know that there are probably internships that you could still do for college credit. And I think they got away from having, you know, high school age interns. And you don't really, yeah, you don't really see too many uh, teenagers breaking into the business anymore. But I don't think that, I, I think a lot of that has to do with you know the possible corporate liability attached to it as well mm-hmm. you know i think people would be worried that you know some sort of labor laws would be being are being broken or there's the possibility especially you know in the age of uh, the the me too movement the possibility of somebody you know taking advantage of a young person yeah. you know emotionally or sexually or you know However, you don't want to set yourself up for that eventuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you were a DC exclusive uh, creator for seven years. Uh, yeah. Is there a safety net to being exclusive to one publisher for a length of time, or is it still just kind of, or is it still just like another form of freelance? Ultimately, it's another form of freelance. Um, I don't know how the exclusive contracts are structured now, but when I had my exclusive, I had a page rate and they paid half of my medical insurance. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, an advantage, you know, having that, but that, that came out of my pay. Mm-hmm. Like what the, sure. you know, what I paid for medical insurance came out of my pay. So, there was that that safety net. You knew that what you were going to be doing for two years, you knew that you were going to get a certain amount of work every month. You know, some people's contracts were structured differently than mine. My contract was very open-ended. You know, I didn't have a minimum that I had to, had to make, but I also didn't have a cap mm-hmm. on what I could do because um, I was – fast enough to be able to do monthlies and take on a few other extra things. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite that fast anymore. I'm getting old, but <laughs> I used to be able to do like six pages a week. Now I can do four on a good week. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm slowing down a little bit. Um, uh, so there was a bit of an advantage in And I think part of the reason why I enjoyed being exclusive was that was for the longest time, that was my goal was to work for DC Comics. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I had always said that before I left, I would get a chance to draw Superman and I got that chance. So... You know, after everything was said and done, you know, I needed to find some new horizons. And, you know, at the time, especially, you know, my my wife was getting insurance from her old job as well. So that wasn't, you know, as much of a concern. Um, you also, uh, you know, you uh, on your website you offer yourself up as a guest lecturer for on, on mm-hmm. you know comics and anim- animation. What are some of the subtopics that come up often in those talks? Um, a lot of it is the history of both comics and animation. You know, and usually when I do a comics talk, it's media based. Like I talk about how, like we were talking about before, how certain characters get translated how often they get translated why you know what is it about superheroes in general appeal to the wider audience you know to a multimedia audience and you know sometimes it's a, is strictly a sort of how to mm-hmm. you know you know how do you get from a to z in terms of you know putting it put together you know how to write a plot how to write a script you know, penciling, laying pages out, you know, story, the basic mechanics of storytelling. Um, when I talk about it, anim- when I get into animation, it's sort of the same thing. It's, it's coming from it from a storyboards art- artist point of view, talking a little bit about, you know, the history and how animation developed in the early days, you know, from uh, the Mui Bridge photo uh, collages that he used to do 
to Windsor McKay to Walt Disney and then how that sort of inspired, you know, Tezuka and, you know, everything else that we see. Um, what's your what's your personal philosophy for interacting pe- with uh, with people online? Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're someone who's, who's you know, you're not afraid to get political, obviously, you know, and, and something that I mean, I personally appreciate, you know, you have no fear in dealing with the comic skaters who've been out in force this past year. Um, what is my philosophy with dealing with people online? Um, 90% of the time it's mutual respect, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, I can be not confrontational. I, I don't think of myself as being a confrontational person. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, and a lot of this has to do with, you know, having worked in marketing and having worked with social media in the past, I, you know, I sort of feel as if there is a certain, there is a line that needs to be drawn when you're dealing with the public. And I think a lot of times, especially on social media, people have a tendency to forget that there is a line. It's the same line that you would have with a stranger when you're talking to him on the street. Now, you, I feel like you shouldn't say something to somebody online that you wouldn't say to them, say directly to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you, if you come to me and you speak to me either online or in person, we can have a healthy debate about something. As long as it's a healthy debate and we both recognize that we're trying to be respectful of one another. But with the comic skaters guys, mm-hmm. you know, and I I did not come to this with them from an antagonistic point of view. Mm-hmm. I've said this before and I want to reiterate this. This is not about me. This is about the people who do not have my career, who have not been in the business as long as I have, who don't have my presence online, who don't, this is, you know, for all of those younger creators who are just getting into the business, who are, you know, people of color, who are LGBTQ, you know, who, who are marginalized creators of all stripes wanting to bring their voices into pop culture and seeing themselves reflected in the characters that they read and that they get to write about and get to draw about. There's nothing wrong with that. When you've made it your mission, you know, to denigrate people, to insult them, to sick your army of flying monkeys on anybody that you deem unworthy of being able to create uh, comic book characters. Or whatever, because it's not just in comics. We're seeing, exa- you know, we saw this with GamerGate. Mm-hmm. We see this all the time with, you know, with celebrities online. People have it really, really. I it really, really upsets me, and I, I just got to the point where I felt like I needed to say something because if, (laughs) if being a lifelong comic book fan has taught me anything is that you have to stand up for the least of us or you're a failure. You know, you're not doing your job. You know, you know, my job, part of my job, I feel like is, bringing that next generation of creators in and 
one of my biggest problems with this whole comics gay thing is that they're trying to hide behind this idea that it's about quality control. Yeah, which they, is, they feel it's like an objective criticism. No, because it's not an objective criticism because, yeah. you know, it's an opinion. It's their opinion. It's, a, it's an opinion based on their personal taste. Problem is, taste is subjective. What is good to one person may not be good to somebody else. I don't like everything. I don't expect everything to cater to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they they. I've seen so many different like. They can't even decide what it's about. What their case is about. You know, for some of them, it's the idea that DC for the first time since like the 70s is is in the number one sales position and Marvel should be in that position. No, there's a back and forth. That's business. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes one company is, you know, higher in sales. Sometimes another company is higher in sales. It doesn't mean that Marvel's doing anything wrong. It just means that DC has found something that works for them. That's just the way things go yeah but it's not because you think diversity doesn't work which is complete crap (laughs) you know you can use stronger language if you like (laughs) uh, okay uh, okay so all right so you know the bullshit yeah you know the 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 bullshit of it all is if you you know the idea there's so many ide- different ideas that they try to push in their zeal to antagonize and denigrate people. The idea that you know politics should not be in comics. Comics should be escapist entertainment. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you know politics have existed in comics since comics were created. That's yeah, I, just <laughs> I can I can show you example, and I do this. I will show them example after example after example after example of politics flooding Golden comics. Age comics. <laughs> Not just Golden Age comics, Silver Age comics to this day. I was rereading uh, Batman, A Death in the Family. I found a copy of it on my street because, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> <laughs> And I was re- rereading it. Do you know what the plot line, other than you know Jason Todd getting killed, the plot line of that story is the Joker trying to arrange an arms deal and then becoming the ambassador to Iran. Wow. They had the Ayatollah Khomeini in the freaking comic book. This is the 80s. Height of this Iran the, Exactly. You know? This is a this is Batman. The one of the biggest selling Batman stories of all time. I feel like whatever these guys because a lot and a lot of these guys who follow Richard Meyer and his mm-hmm. fucked up army are people who found him on YouTube who haven't read a comic book in however long. And what they remember about comic books is based on stuff that they read when they were 15, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 90s and haven't read anything since. And they're probably misremembering the stuff that they read back then. And, and yeah. that's what that Jawbreakers comic looks like, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, OK, here's the here, here's the thing about Jawbreakers. I don't care. Do it. Do whatever you raise the money. Fine. Congratulations. Do whatever you want. You know? Mm-hmm. I didn't care before. I still don't care. You know? The the whole Antarctic press thing is the thing. That's their choice. You know? They don't have to publish your book. If your book was as good as you say it is you could have just as easily found another publisher and i think they're self-publishing it now like i don't keep up with this thing, uh, yeah that's that's basically what's happening yeah that's yes yeah. so they're gonna find out very quickly how fast they're gonna lose that what 200 you know 50 290 whatever i think it was know, 237 237 yeah. yeah they're gonna they're gonna find out how fast they're gonna go through that money you know trying to self-publish this book 
It's the free market, baby. <laughs> it's it's the free market. My one of my favorite lines is from Kevin Eastman from a uh, an interview he did uh, post Tundra, and he was just something like, "You know how you make a million dollars in the comic book industry? You lose ten million dollars in the comic book industry." Ah. <laughs> uh. You know, and you know, I think a lot of their frustration with the whole jawbreakers thing is beyond you know everything else. You know, beyond you know Antarctic canceling their publishing deal. You know, beyond anything else, is that they were not able to get any press outside of Breitbart, and yeah. I think like Drudge Report and like all of these right wing sites. Right. And that should just tell you who their audience is, you know, who they are trying to court. You know, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Richard Meyer is a troll. Richard Meyer has always been a troll. He was a troll when I used to run into him on the Bleeding Cool boards about when they still had boards back years ago. You know, he used he used to troll Gail Simone's own message board. He used to he used to troll the Bendis board. I mean, this was what he did. All of the same stuff that he's doing now, he was doing then. You know, he only the only difference is he found a way to monetize it. Mm -hmm. You know, but he is a troll. He has always been a troll. You know, he's a guy who has been floating around the comic book industry in some way, shape, or form since the 80s and would give his right nut if somebody from a major company were to come to him and ask him to write. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to do that. And they're especially not going to do that now. They're not going to touch him with a 10-foot pole. I, it, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, I remember the weekend all the Jawbreaker stuff went down. You know, I'm, I'm looking on Twitter, and that's kind of what people are are talking about and then i'm like well let me you know google and see what sites are actually covering it you know i'm not seeing cbr i'm not seeing newsarama i'm seeing like bounding into comics one angry gamer you know the, uh, like the official the, the, yeah the, the comic skate sites basically basically yeah the 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 uh, the, the, the oh god every time somebody brings up one of those sites this is like look did you read the rest of the articles on this website? Well, you know, these are, you know, especially bounding into comics. This is the same guy who's trying to push that whole like, oh, you know, liberals are trying, you know, you know, tried to vandalize a pizza restaurant because they had a sign with Ethan Van Skyver, only to come and find out that that neighborhood had had a rash of attempted break-ins, mm -hmm. like that entire like for like three weeks. Comics like, did not need its own pizza gate. No, come <laughs> this is supposed to be an industry. It's a small industry. This is supposed to be an industry where, you know, you don't have to get along with everybody, but we're here for a common cause. You know, we're trying, we're all trying to create good things to, put this sort of animosity into things and i think that goes for the the wider political argument mm -hmm. as well because i think this is symptomatic of that as Absolutely. well I, I think that they have been emboldened by the current resident in chief and um they use that as an excuse to uh to try to make everybody else's lives miserable. And it's really, really sad. And it's really, really disturbing. And they keep thinking that, you know, what they're doing is valid. You know, what they're being validated by other, you know, our responses to them. Mm -hmm. You know, they think that they're right. And we keep telling them that they're, they're awful. And they take that as a badge of honor. And I was listening to um, Bob Seska's podcast and they were talking about that, so, you know, that, that very same idea that it's, you know, it's become sort of like a, you know, a, a fuck you, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to be this way because you tell me I shouldn't. 
it's you know the 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 angry last gasp of people who feel like their their voice is being taken away from them so their idea of you know pumping themselves up is to try to take the voices away from people who are just starting to find their voices mm-hmm. i don't know if that made any sense but <laughs> no, it, it made all yeah made absolute sense um we can we can shift on to other and happier topics though okay yeah. <laughs> i'm starting to get a little depressed like <laughs> hey, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a downer of a topic because most of most of us are just here to read comics and talk with other people about same absolutely yeah. absolutely but yeah. um, i would i would yeah. prefer to talk about like you know and it, like you like you were you were saying before yes when i'm you know especially on twitter like i talk about politics because i'm fascinated by politics i'm fascinated by political theory i'm fascinated by you know civics you know as a concept you know how we govern our lives and how we govern our world and how we communicate with other countries and you know or how we attempt to communicate with other countries you know the the idea that you know as a people we have created this this sort of zeitgeist for ourselves since the 50s that America is the greatest country in the world you know that we have you know we are the lar- one of the larger countries in the world and we have a lot of advantages because of that but i've been you know the places around the world that are absolutely gorgeous to have it in some cases have it all over the united states in certain aspects you know you know we are becoming part of a larger think space mm-hmm. and i'm fascinated by all of those things and not just like u.s politics but you know eu politics and uk what's going on with brexit and what's going on in south america and you know what's going you know what's going on in in asia and just you know everything so you know for me politics it's you know it's like watching football for some people you <laughs> It is in many ways as as much a contact sport. It, 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 very much so. Very much so. Filled yeah. with people exhibiting signs of CTE. <laughs> <laughs> Only problem is no helmets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Roseanne. Well, anyway. Eh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <F> fuck her. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was I was talking about this earlier today. I'm like, you know, you you guys remember what she was like 25 and 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, this is this is not new. This is not you know, this you know that's the thing. It's like I I forget who it was. There was there was somebody who was just like you know there should be room for forgiveness and this the you know in these things. I'm just like this isn't something she said five years ago. She said it yesterday and then doubled down after apologizing because somebody from abc said you better apologize or you know you're gonna lose your job and and she lost her job and then her agency dropped her and they pulled all the reruns from from uh from cable of the, the old show so you know shit travels fast you know you can't you can't do these sort of things and again it goes back to that that same idea that they've been emboldened by trump to think that you know everybody can be an asshole and get away with it and you know that's not true that's never been true you know and people are starting to find out real quick that you know yes you have freedom of speech but you do not have freedom from consequences and it isn't even really about freedom of speech it's about freedom there's freedom of speech but there's also response there's free speech and there's responsible speech and i think more often than not we practice responsible speech as opposed to free speech you cannot the government cannot censor free speech we can you know that's in the constitution However, responsible speech, we govern responsible speech on a minute-by-minute basis. You know, we, we check people on responsible speech constantly because responsible speech, 
know, it's more than shouting, you know, fire in a crowded theater. You know, we have to live in a world with other people. You know, we have a world of 10 billion souls. Each one has their own ideas and their own opinions and their own likes and dislikes and how they want to govern their lives. And what we do as societies is that the majority gets to decide how we communicate with each other. It's the social contract. Absolutely. You know, that is what responsible, responsible speech is all about. So we have, as a society, decided that you can't be a racist dick. <laughs> you can be a racist dick in your own home. Nobody's going to come in and tell you, you know, don't be a racist dick in your own home. But when you go out into the, the front yard, as it is, the <laughs> digital front yard, especially now, you know, and, you know, be a racist dick, you can't be surprised that there's going to be a backlash from the majority. You, you can get away with it with your relatives on Facebook, but not so much on the Twitter. <laughs> I can't even get away with my relatives on Facebook. I, I don't even argue, like, you know, I, I don't even argue. I just leave it alone. Yeah, best to do that. <laughs> Uh, my, my, my favorite though, in the whole Roseanne thing was the, you know, conservative Twitter saying, well, why don't we just go after Bill Maher as uh, you know, revenge, revenge move. And then liberal Twitter just kind of being like, okay, you can have him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, I wrote a tweet. I think it was in, uh, in response to Charlie Kirk. Uh -huh. Please don't fire Bill Maher. He said softly, his whisper barely audible to the crowd had a tinge of sarcasm. A sly smile crept across his face, the corners of his mouth curling slightly. I feel like, like more tweets need to be read in audiobook format. That was like... <laughs> um, well, Jamal, it's been almost an hour. Uh, this has been a, 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 an awesome conversation. How can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? I, I do wish to be followed online. You can find me everywhere. Um, Jamal Igle, J-A-M-A-L-I-G-L-E, both on Facebook and on Twitter and then on Instagram. I am Jamal underscore Igle underscore artist. Uh, Jamal, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and point of views. And we'll see you next time.